0: South Africa has just concluded what is perhaps one of the most consequential elections of the democratic era. Joining me to discuss the electoral dynamics of this election and the possible implications for the future of South African politics is Gabriel Krauser. He is with the Institute of Race Relations. Gabriel, welcome to the show. We're recording on Wednesday, the 3rd of November, so some of the results are still trickling in. But what are some of your impressions of this election and some of the implications for party politics in the country?
1: Headline result is that the ANC has dropped below 50%. This is something that the Institute of Race Relations has predicted would happen in the 2020s uh, since around 2012. Uh, uh, I, I think some of my senior colleagues predicted it would happen around 2024. Uh, so it's come sooner uh, than expected. But it is fundamentally important. There are a lot of uh, single-party democracies effectively. Uh, and the the, the balance of forces uh, tends not to incentivize reason responsive government. Even if you have a sort of benign, very popular uh, leader, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely goes the old saw. Uh, it does become a problem if people aren't used to seeing a peaceful transition of power. Uh, headline question, uh, which will start to be answered uh, as this starts being aired, but will really run through into January next year, is does the ANC vacate uh, peacefully in those areas where it has been uh, displaced? Of course, bad memories from uh, the Western Cape when it first lost there, and uh, in the ructions in Nelson Mandela Bay and so on, there have been some up and downs. But the point is that South Africans, are all going to get used to the thought that when an ANC leader says we will rule until Jesus comes, as Jacob Zuma says, uh, they're, that they're fantasizing that this is this is not a preordained matter. That fate is not what decides things. That loyalty to a previous part, a previous brand, to achievements that have come from halcyon days of the struggle, uh, is not what's going to define every the majority of voters. Uh, uh decisions at the ballot box
0: so gabriel one of the key characteristics of this election was the extremely low voter turnout what do you read into that
1: i think that it follow it, it both breaks with and follows a trend uh, and that'll make sense to you if you consider that there are in fact two trend lines to voter participation in national scale elections the one you see very clearly, in national general elections. These are the elections that decide parliament, premiers and the president. And there we've seen a steady decline in voter turnout. We were very eager to draw attention to the fact that we had record low voter turnout in 2019. And that as a result, the ANC's uh, slim majority in parliament uh, was actually reflective of the fact that about one in four eligible voters voted for the ANC. So they were already in that sense a minority party, but you had a conflicting trend line, which was an increase in voter participation at municipal level, and there was a, a strong peak in 2016. This is very, this puts South Africa in a very unusual position internationally. It's quite normal for uh, national elections to have twice as much participation as local government elections, but in South Africa, they were coming to almost the same point. What we've seen in 2021 is a restoration of South Africa to that international norm, where the local government participation has been roughly half of that of the national government election in 2019. Uh, So in that sense, it's kind of like what was happening was strange. What is happening now is more normal. Uh, This election matters a lot at a nuts and bolts level, potholes, reticulation of water and electricity, collection of refuse, sewerage, uh, but it is a hard thing to excite someone about if they're looking at South African affairs from Paris or Tokyo or Kigali. Likewise, local South Africans, uh, not all that South, Af- not all that South- excited about it. Okay, but there are further factors to explain why we've reverted to this international norm. Uh, one of them, I think, is uh, the fact that it took place on a Monday. Uh, people might not have fully recovered. Another one is that the weather wasn't perfect in the Western Cape. Another one is that, and this one I think is more serious, uh, people's social lives have been drastically dislocated uh, by the government's response, the lockdown response to the coronavirus. Voting is ultimately a social exercise. You know, you get anonymity and that's important to try and protect people's private values. But it's something that you go out and do, generally speaking, in public. It's something that filters through conversations that one has had, media engagements that one has partaken in, stump speeches and the like. In the absence of the regular social engagements that that sort of motivate people to to actually get out and mark their ex, uh, I think that you see that explaining part of the low turnout. But perhaps the most obvious and perhaps the most important point is that The economy has been uh, badly underperforming for the last decade. And service delivery has been leading the downward trend. uh, When you see the amount of uh, clean audits versus the sort of fiscal uh, opacity, uh, prima facie evidence of straightforward theft, as well as actual case studies in local government officials uh, picking the pockets of taxpayers and not delivering services you get a strong uh, basis on which to uh, read into the minds of ordinary South Africans a great level of disgruntlement with our incumbent forces. At the same time, we see uh, opposition parties continuing to struggle, particularly in a hostile media environment, to uh, advertise on the basis of successful service delivery their uh, offering as, as, as uh, a means to defeat the ANC and displace them and, and offer better local government. So, you know, a lot of people stay away from voting in that situation. They just don't see a better alternative. And I think if you add those factors together, you could keep going down the line, but I think those are the headline factors uh, to explain uh, why South Africa has w- removed itself from what I think was a great trend of very high levels of participation in local government elections back to uh, a more international normal where where most people frankly are yawning it off so gabriel the ceo elect of the institute of race relations john Endres,
0: who also directs the center for risk analysis he had an interesting analogy which is that for a long time the anc has been like this grizzled large buffalo that has roamed the savannah and dominated over its territory and the assumption was that one day a young lion would come That would threaten the dominance of this old buffalo and take it out but what instead seems to be happening is that rather than a lion we have a pack of wild dogs yapping at one another snapping at the heels of this buffalo making life very uncomfortable and threatening to bring it down i thought this was a very apt metaphor for these elections and possible future electoral dynamics in the country what are some of your thoughts on the possible role of this broad coalition of opposition parties emerging, and how likely is it that they could take out the ANC?
1: I think it's a very good analogy. I think it's worth adding, as John does, uh, that the buffalo also walks around with its calf, uh, the young EFF, yes. uh, and that both are really in one group and under attack uh, by, the, by the wild dogs, uh, who yap at each other, who have, uh, will snap at each other's heels, uh, but really do seem to share one foremost enemy. Uh, that, that seems like a, a sober assessment or a good analogy for where we are, especially in light of uh, recent statements that have emerged from Mashaba, Herman Mashaba, and John Steenhagen uh, about unwillingness to work with the ANC and willingness to work with each other. The doors seem to be opening, but in the course of the week, and I think in the course of the next few years, really, uh, we will see uh, uh, really how, how committed parties are. that path. I think that just on the numbers, not all of the results are in, but there are little wards and even voting districts where you see interesting patterns. I've looked in the Johannesburg uh, Central Business District, uh, Yeovil, Bromfontein, Durfontein, Westville, around there, and I see the DA returning to its 2011 numbers. Uh, So in a lot of these high density, very poor areas, the DA was getting between three and 5% in 2011, that climbed to about seven to 10% in 2016, and it's dropped back to between three and 5% uh, this time. So a little bit of a retreat there, but surging up is Action SA, which is taking between 10 and 20, but often between 15 and 20% in those areas. So, if you add those two numbers together, uh, that strand of the opposition uh, is coming out uh, much stronger, almost twice as strong in many cases, uh, as it was in 2016. And this is not on the back of a full DA retreat. There are clearly some hardcore supporters uh, living in Hillbrow uh, who have been with the DA and continue to be with it. Um, But there is another dog in the pack and I think uh, that poses a greater threat to the buffalo uh, walking those streets. Uh, the same story can be seen in various rural areas. I looked at where, um, the, but I, let me not get too lost in the numbers and, and zoom out uh, recognizing other smaller parties, the ACDP, uh, Freya's Front Plus, uh, the, the IFP uh, who have experienced growth Uh, all of them in particular targeted areas where they seem to be speaking to a market that's very encouraging to them uh, and and very firmly opposed to the ANC EFF status quo. I think it puts South Africa in uh, an interesting position because until now, maybe the headline result should be this, until now, the ANC and the EFF, since the EFF has been around, have commanded a two-thirds majority Together at national scale. And before the EFF, uh, there was one election with the ANC dropped below, but before that, it basically had a supermajority on its own, the Mbeki era. Now you see that that collective drops from around 60, above 66% to roughly 57%. And we will see those numbers change a little bit through the course of the week. Uh, But it is a significant drop. So the ANC drops below 50, and the ANC EFF drops into the 50s. I think that will be very exciting for the the pack of wild dogs to see. And uh, to see the trend continuing uh, would mean the ANC and the EFF together stand a chance of dropping below 50% collectively in 2024. That would put uh, coalition politics really at the front of everyone's mind. Um, And the question, one question to ask will be, who's top dog? But I think from a general South African perspective, the more important question will be, who wins, the wild dogs or the water buffalo?
0: All right, Gabriel, the outgoing CEO of the Institute, Franz Grenier, has long advised that South Africa is primed for the emergence of a center-right party. And it seems that Action SA and its leader Herman Mashaba are embodying that. It's still early days, obviously, but I think that they performed well beyond many analysts' expectations. What is your view of this uh, new player on the scene, Action SA?
1: I one detail uh, which I think is interesting because Herman Mashaba was Joburg's mayor is uh, really uh, uh, a Joberg, a Josie guy. Uh, spent a huge amount of uh, campaigning money. I could see it on the streets of Joburg um, uh, advertising here. So a particular Joburg story is Jewel City, uh, right next to Joe Slovo, as you lead down from Yeovil Duhinfantin into town. uh, There, when Mashaba was mayor, Some some derelict buildings were condemned, the process was accelerated, they were knocked down, a public-private partnership then put up some low-cost housing with a neat public square with some new chicken nickens on the ground floor, some trees and benches for people to sit on. It's safe, it's clean, it's cheap, it's very nice. And uh, in that voting district, Action SA uh, won, actually. Uh, So I think that's a good example of people seeing something that works coming in part from government and rewarding it. Uh, I think that uh, that kind of thing should be encouraged. This is the basis on which people should vote. There are issues uh, with Mashaba's attitude toward foreigners. Uh, The next district that I saw in Joburg CBD is more on the west side, where there are less residences, more live-in small businesses that are competing with foreigners, and Mashaba's uh, rhetoric I think would have been music to the ears of, of, of some of the people I've spoken to there, um, uh, who who hope not to have to compete with foreigners in terms of local trade uh, or small trade. Uh, I think that's more troubling. Uh, that does speak to a sort of uh, uh, socially more right wing aspect. I think that there are there are good uh, uh, problem, there are important problems to address, uh, but there is a concern. Likewise, there's concerns with ACDPs. Christian values, when it gets into uh, how to think about uh, gay marriage, there are concerns uh, with Fred's front, plus his uh, attitude towards secession. Um, uh, th- these, these are differences uh, between the pack, the opposition pack, um, that I think are going to be important for them to remind one another of. Uh, in their attempt to maintain their brand identities and distinguish themselves and say, those guys are the baddies, we're the goodies for this and that reason. Um, That all being said, it's important to remember what's standing on the other side of the aisle. Uh, And I think that people sometimes uh, bristle at the words national democratic revolution, but they oughtn't to, Uh, they, they ought to wake up. Open their eyes and consider that the ANC has re-ratified this policy program uh, at every opportunity. Uh, the Umra Bulla discussion document leading into the pandemic, uh, I think, should be compulsory reading. Um, the animosity to to family, to uh, faith, to freedom, sekelingubesi, uh, it would say, to to the basic values that do seem to unite uh, most South Africans that that rarely most of us have in common that's borne out by uh, opinion surveys commissioned by the Institute of Race Relations, are really antithetical to the views of uh, those who occupy the union buildings and the majority of parliament. And in a profound antithesis, there really is a harsh binary borne out by policy programs like expropriation without compensation, BEE forever, uh, the nationalization of private health flittering around with pensions uh talk of quantity easing printing money for free and so on down the line uh so i think that as much as uh there is to divide uh the 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 opposition there is more to unite them at the moment and if i can finish with sort of one international uh point of analysis which is this. When people talk about left-wing and right-wing, there are two inflections. The one is social uh, and the other is economic. And left-wing just basically means more government is the solution and right-wing means limiting government is the solution. I'm not sure that any of the opposition parties would agree on how large government should be in an ideal universe. But it seems very clear to me that they all agree right now that South Africa's government is too large, given how inept, corrupt, and, and, and fundamentally incapable it is. Uh, so both restraining the uh, clutches of the, of the patronage network, getting the buffalo to eat less grass, mm. and uh, working together to... to, to to unseat the Buffalo, to, to have a new uh, coordinating uh, executive, I think are, are going to be sufficient for them to, to agree to disagree where they need to, uh, if they keep their focus on the main prize.
0: And Gabriel, what do you make of the DA's performance in this election? Because a bit of a mixed bag, they went backwards in a number of key metros, uh, but still the largest opposition party Uh, what do you think is their position right now? If you were a DA strategist, how satisfied would you
1: be with the selection? I think I'd feel like uh, it's one step forward and one step backwards. I think that the DA's uh, performance in a lot of rural South Africa, and I'm particularly looking at the uh, free state and uh, KwaZulu-Natal is encouraging. I was, uh, the results are not completely in yet, but I tallied up, Uh, Over a dozen wards and an important municipality that the DA has picked up from areas that were voting majority ANC. And this is, these are, you know, sometimes it happens through redistricting, but these were sort of hardcore places that have been voting in the ANC with a 50, 60, 70% majority. uh, Some of them pushing 80% that the DA has taken uh, in this round of elections. So where they haven't uh, been competing with new urban. Uh, centered parties, and I'm thinking about Action SA, I'm thinking also about Good, the Patriotic Alliance, uh, which outside of the Western Cape are really urban parties, uh, the DA has managed to, 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 to show its its mettle, and I think that a strategist would take encouragement from that. In the major metros, uh, right now, the DA has just taken the lead in Johannesburg, but it's very much neck and neck with the ANC, and I think with awards outstanding to be counted, the ANC probably will pip them. The DA is going to have to look at con- its, it's, it's uh, pro- progressive consolidation. Uh, I think it's going to need to remind people that uh, the hardcore DA supporter is not something you can guess by race, uh, that there are hardcore DA supporters in Hillbrow and there are hardcore DA supporters in Houghton uh, and those places are very close but they look very different in many ways. And that's part of what's interesting about the DA. I think that is a brand distinction that it is going to have to rely on emphasizing in the next three years, building up to the national election, that it's not a Joburg party, it's not an urban party, it's not uh, a, a I would say that the Patriotic Alliance is, is an upsurge of a kind of Cape Colored Nationalist Party. So is good. Phrase uh, Front Plus has got a very strong Afrikaner Nationalist and secessionist element there. Uh, the DA is uh, a leading opposition party that has to brand itself as, as the relatively small but growing tent that is welcoming to all people uh, who share values. Uh, and I think that an interesting way to demonstrate that will be through its navigation of the choppy waters of coalition politics. If the DA allows personality clashes to override or to trump uh, the real interests of its constituents and of South Africans more broadly, uh, if it gets completely lost in petty squabbles, I think that's going to turn voters off. Uh, But if it shows that as good as it is at service delivery, it is also so good at holding on to its principles and staying away from coalition partners that are completely antithetical to them, but working with those where you agree on a list of six out of 10 things and disagree about the four, but shelve those uh, for for when the moment's appropriate. I think if they can show management acumen, and that is a special skill, it's certainly one that I lack, but I think that it's one that South Africans will be able to detect if it is demonstrated and that will reward the DA going forward.
0: Yeah, and in many ways under Helen Zilla, the party grew phenomenally. There was this assumption that that trajectory needed to continue and perhaps some of the strategic missteps that occurred in the past were this kind of growth at all costs kind of mindset. But now with this new coalition landscape in play, maybe the, the DA as a kind of a dominant player within a broader coalition could actually play an outsized role uh, without necessarily having to grow its electoral support uh you know beyond say 25 30 percent
1: yeah i mean i i i don't think that any da strategist would like to hear that um mm. I, I think that and, and one reason is simply a, a fact about human psychology which is that uh confidence is attractive and success is confidence squared uh People really like to see a growing party uh, because th- that enthusiasm becomes contagious. It's the, it's the obverse of the ANC's problem now. Dropping below forty, below fifty percent makes it mm. uh, removes one leg of its its sort of campaign running journey through the decades. Uh, it can no longer say that we're the majority party of the people and always have been. I think the DA uh, wants to grow. Uh, but I do think that uh, South Africans have not all made up their minds. This is something—it's a curiosity exhibited by our surveys. For example, at the IRR, we find, for example, that 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 just 80% of South Africans are are common decent, common sense decent people uh, who want jobs to be appointed by merit, who want um, uh, people of all races to work together in order to forge this project, who. Uh, th- think that politicians are, are exaggerating racial distinctions and driving wedges through socially salient cleavages in order to distract from their own failures and so on down the line. Um, but we do also say, see, and this must be said because the DA uh, has a white leader, we saw about two thirds of South Africans uh, in general, and as it happens, one quarter of white respondents uh, said that South Africa is now a country for Blacks and whites must take second place. That's a stark result and that would be a difficult thing for a DA strategist to look at uh, given current leadership and, and suppose that uh, uh, the DA could easily win an outright majority. Uh, that does in a sense seem to place a ceiling on it unless it's willing to change its leader on the basis of a kind of social identity appeal, which I think would go against its core values. Uh, so that puts the DA in one kind of conundrum, but I think that um, that notwithstanding, Uh, it will be important for the party to aim at growth uh, across all sectors of society uh, in order to vindicate the appeal of its service delivery, which is so fundamental at local government level uh, and something that no other party has a track record, a proven track record, anything like the DAs. I think that... uh, uh, growing there is going to be very important for the party and also for what that kind of growth does to the national conversation, which then in turn filters into uh, national election decisions. So Gabriel, let's turn now to the EFF, because if you had to extrapolate
0: these local government elections to the national and provincial level, imagine that it's 2024 and we've just had the same results now. It'd be very tempting for the ANC to go into a coalition with the EFF, that could radicalize the policy agenda extremely uh, greatly. So uh, what, what do you think of the, the role of the EFF? Because it didn't grow very much in this election, but they could play a very deciding role in being a kingmaker in, in key cities and perhaps later at the provincial and national level.
1: Yes, Correct. Again, uh, let's just note that the ANC and the EFF together in Parliament right now command more than a two-thirds majority, uh, but at local government level, unless the results change radically uh, from where they stand right now, uh, that will be f- not true. In fact, they'll be sitting around 57% collectively, maybe 59 I think that the EFF will be hesitant to staple itself to a sinking ship, uh, which is what the ANC is is on the numbers. Uh, At the same time, uh, there is only one major party uh, whose values line up with the EFFs, and that is the ANC. I think, therefore, it will be very difficult for them to avoid getting into a coalition. Um, And uh, it's also also the
0: temptation of patronage as well, uh, earning a quick buck from being a participant in a coalition government
1: yes for all parties that's very difficult to resist um and i think the eff is no exception there so uh what does that look like i mean in part i think it would be very curious if the eff and the anc went into coalition and in the next few years managed to demonstrate uh, a sudden uh, acumen for excellent service delivery and turning around fiscally moribund uh, municipalities i think that would certainly add credibility to the national democratic revolutionary agenda in Parliament. It would uh, make expropriation without compensation perhaps seem more palatable if it's being argued for by the same people who have managed to figure out how to uh, get the sewage system to work again. However, it seems unlikely to me that uh, such acumen will be discovered uh, overnight. The ANC certainly had ample opportunity, and the EFF has had opportunity too in major metropolitans uh, to to try its hand at governments, uh, sort of from behind the curtain, uh, and the the results have not been encouraging. So I think that this is, in a sense, an acceleration, and I'm not an accelerationist. It's not how I'd I'd rather have it, Uh, but this is an acceleration towards. The, the, the basic question that South Africans have to answer, which is, as the national democratic revolution metastasizes and becomes tangible, you know, when you get to the point where the government literally has enshrined itself with the power to, to take something from you uh, that is part of your wealth stock uh, on an ad hoc basis, as a, as a paradigm example, but one of several. Once you get there, do you push back and undo it or do you maintain it? Uh, Put it another way, what we're doing here is making explicit what has been implicit, namely that the EFF and the ANC are coalition partners, that the EFF really was a branch of the ANC Youth League, which uh, departed for brand and personnel reasons, uh, but which on policy front has always been aligned. Uh, to the ANC. I think that for South Africans to be confronted by that, uh, if it turns out that EFF ANC coalitions get cemented uh, in various municipalities across the country at a grassroots level, uh, will will likely be a salubrious uh, sort of moment, uh, an eye-opener. So Gabriel, uh, a few weeks ago on the
0: podcast, we had Stephen Davies of the Institute of Economic Affairs in the UK. And he was talking about the global political realignment. And he says that all political systems are essentially aligned around a single dominant issue, a binary issue. Uh, We didn't speak much about South Africa in that conversation, but if you apply that framework to South Africa, you can look back in time and, and see various epochs. There was the 1950s to the 1990s, which was essentially the debate around the legitimacy of the apartheid system. Uh, then, you know, following the transition, uh, the National Democratic Revolution agenda of the ANC or the transformation, the post-apartheid transformation. But it seems now that a new binary might be emerging. You've spoken about the ANC and the EFF being on the one side of that. Is this broad amorphous? Uh, coalition or united front on the other hand but do, how do you think that that binary will change what will be that new defining issue
1: yeah i suppose i suppose the temptation is to throw a lot of candidates up on the wall and hope that one of them turns out to be right i will i will try and limit myself rather just to one proposition and that is that the binary becomes whether south africa is Aiming at egalitarianism read through the phrase, cut down the tall poppies so that no one stands out, or whether South African aims at, at excellence through meritocracy. Uh, I, I partly think this because of my time, uh, sort of uh, as, a, as a traveling reporter in KwaZulu Natal, uh, speaking to uh, you know, people who, for whom shoes are still a somewhat foreign object. And I've often been told Zonda, uh, is a word that percolates through from local level politics, right to the top. It is, uh, translatable either as jealousy or as envy, uh, or as, or as a particular form of hatred. And it is unfortunately something which, has been increasingly definitive of south africa's politics if someone makes it on their own is that a source for uh, jealousy does that evoke words like privilege does that make you think that something has gone wrong with the system if peter has much more than paul does that pose a problem that needs to be solved ultimately by a state that intervenes uh is there a politics based on Zonda? uh, and is there a politics that goes against it? I very much see that split, uh, becoming more clear in this election. Uh, and Mashaba kind of embodies the, the anti-Zonda attitude. Uh, he is a man who not only made bucks outside of the BEE network. He did it in the teeth of a hostile business environment during apartheid and selling you know, uh, uh, aesthetic, uh, face products, um, mainly to black people. This is about as unwoke, uh, or as unegalitarian as you could be. This is, this is rabid capitalism, uh, at its worst. And yet he is a, he is a proud, uh, uh, banner carrier for his own success. Uh, and I think that the, uh, other members of the coalition uh, are are, are similarly inclined. For example, the ACDP uh, is is a staunchly conservative Christian party, uh, but it has no uh, elements of the sort of mendicant monks who who propose that wealth is the source of all evil. Uh, I've seen that party vociferously defend property rights and so on down the line, the DA and the phrase Front Plus uh, well-established credentials. In terms of Celebrating people who make good out of hard work. I think that uh, will be my will be my way of looking at it. And 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 in case it sounds esoteric, okay, uh, you know, there are one teams into value add and one teams into value grab. Uh, isn't this tendentious? Isn't this you know sort of designed to make the listener think? Well, we must be on the value add side because how could anyone ever get behind the value grabbers? I suggest that you uh, consult the history of liberation movements, not just in Africa, also in East Asia, also in South America, uh, and also in Europe, as it happens uh, before the normalization of the nation state. And I would also encourage you to read through the ANC documents on the National Democratic Revolution. This is how... Uh, those documents envisage the third stage. First, you defeat, defeat Apartheid. That was the first binary. Then you secure a stable democracy and establish a black bourgeoisie. That is the second stage of the NDR, uh, according to the NDR. And third, you implement an egalitarian society where egalitarianism means something like from everyone according to their abilities, but to everyone according to their needs. That is the question that uh, Parliament is going to be faced with again and again, uh, and we see as we return to business at Parliament after the elections, uh, the Employment Equity Act up for a vote again, uh, it it would basically give the Minister of Labour the authority to impose quotas on any private business uh, uh, in, 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 on the basis of 16 different criteria. Uh, it, is, it is a kind of... Uh, Egalitarian intervention uh, the likes of which even we haven't seen uh, in the last 30 years um, and that's a high bar to transcend, uh, but that's only the first bill of many to come. I think that uh, if the opposition parties uh, diverse as they are can get together and say, you know what we agree on. If someone makes something out of themselves, they should be celebrated not vilified. We agree on that. Uh, then I think they have the formula for winning the hearts and minds of ordinary South Africans and overcoming the national democratic revolution. Uh, But if they're distracted and they're divided, then uh, I think that the policies that have been promised will be the policies that define the day. And they are policies that are uh, difficult to live under. Uh, But they have been implemented before in various countries. uh, And I uh, I, I see the possibility of them being implemented here too. So
0: Gabriel, you're the head of campaigns at the Institute, and you've had quite a busy year. And one of the campaigns that you were involved in is the constitutional court application uh, to resist the potential delays to this election. And I think looking back, uh, it's certainly the case that the Institute was vindicated in taking the position that it did, and insisting that these elections go ahead. Uh, What are your reflections on that process and looking back now that the, the dust has almost settled on the elections.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, uh, by analogy, let me say, uh, a, a, a grand South African journalist who's a close friend of mine, Dennis Beckett, uh, likes to remind me that uh, in, in the early 80s, he, he could hardly find a dinner party where anyone would say anything against apartheid. Uh, and by the late 90s, uh, everyone had always been against apartheid. Uh, and you could not find anyone who would contradict that. Uh, We don't so much change our minds as change our memories. Uh, And similarly here, it's hard to find anyone now who ever thought it was a good idea uh, to postpone the elections because November would be too dangerous a time to have them. Uh, Although we can all of course, remember the Moseneke report where scientists had said uh, to the IEC, look, November's most likely to be a trough Uh, If ever there was a time to have an election, uh, this would be it. Uh, That evidence was ignored. Um, The IEC tried to postpone. And significantly, uh, Cochta Minister and Kosozana Dlamini Zuma then tried to sabotage the election. We were the first first to call that out as irrational uh, executive action. That, too, was vindicated by the Constitutional Court, made explicit in its second judgment. Uh, And I think that's very important to look back on. It's strange to me that so little... uh, of the government's response to the pandemic has been discussed in this election campaign. Uh, I would have thought that opposition parties might have campaigned on the fact that the ANC effectively tried to deprive people of the vote, or of their right to regular elections, Um, and uh, and that uh, given uh, victory at the court, people have this right, and that they should exercise it wisely, uh, bearing in mind who was encouraging them to vote and who was actually trying to stop them from being able to do so. I didn't see any of that, and that's unusual. By international standards, uh, I've looked into, there have been over 100 elections during the pandemic. I've looked into at least 40 of them and found in every case that COVID uh, government response was a significant point of political debate. Uh, That's not been the case here. I think people have been uh, uh, hesitant and tentative to talk about uh, effectively... Uh, one of the most anti-democratic responses uh, to to the pandemic on earth. Uh, And that's not just the uh, attempt to postpone the elections on a basis that would have made postponement indefinite. Uh, It's also the fact that we are currently in a state of disaster, which uh, allows the National Coronavirus Command Council and cabinet more generally to exercise legislative functions effectively, even though they are an executive power, which means we have a super legislator that has no accountability to parliament, no information being given uh, to the public on what the basis for their decisions are, unless you take them to court, which is very expensive, very onerous for puny little citizens to do. Where that has happened, courts have sometimes found uh, that that action was irrational. I imagine that if a court right now was confronted by the fact that we have a curfew between midnight and five a.m., at the same time as having the lowest numbers of deaths and cases uh, since the peak of the first wave, uh, together with uh, you know interviews with any number of scientists you might like to speak with about the uh, ineffectiveness of a midnight to five a.m. curfew, uh, the a court would, would would might very well rule that our current curfew is irrational. Uh, but to get there, you'd have to spend millions of rands to get to court. Uh, and South Africans are feeling the pinch in every which way. Uh, I don't think that there's enough of an economic upside uh, from conspicuous political actors to do so, and so we sit under a command council that tells us when to go to bed, effectively, uh, on on the pretense that this uh, is addressing an actual state of disaster, uh, which the coronavirus very much is not right now. In short... um, I am frustrated by the Coronavirus Command Council. I think most South Africans are frustrated too. Ipsos polling shows very much uh, that people know where our priority issues lie and that they are with unemployment, with bad government corruption, with crime, and not as a priority with COVID right now. I think that people have felt unwilling to say so in part uh, because of the elections. I think that now that the elections are over, People are going to feel more free to say so. And so I'm enthusiastic about the prospects for this campaign, in particular, as Parliament gets back to business. I'll finish maybe by saying this. Our Parliament will now reconvene and uh, debate laws and pass them or or, or scrap them uh, on the basis of public participation. At the same time, the Coronavirus Command Council will be passing laws and scrapping them without any public participation. Uh, making a mockery of our parliament, and I think that uh, as it gets back to business, that be- that becomes all the more obvious. And South Africans have all the more reason to stand up uh, and say to the command council, "It's time to face facts." Well, Gabriel, I think the last part of this conversation has also
0: shown that democracy is not just about elections; it's also about the day-to-day process of interacting with the state, with your fellow citizens holding the government accountable for its actions as well. But Gabriel, I wanted to thank you very much for coming on to Solutions with David Ansara. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast and we'd be
1: delighted to have you back one of these days. Thank you very much, David. It's it's, it's nice to have a long form discussion with you. I enjoy it.
0: If you're watching on YouTube, please do give this video a like and subscribe to the channel. Also leave your thoughts in the comments section below. And if you're listening on your preferred podcast platform, Please do also subscribe there as well and leave a five-star review. That helps the show to grow. My name is David Ansara. Until next Sunday, take care.